you like your job? Do you believe in the company's vision? What type of leader do you want to be? If you answered yes, sometimes, the type that doesn't suck, then join Jake Fletcher and Brock Yorty on Leaders Drink Last podcast. We're going to discuss experiences on construction projects around the world, new and old leadership styles, failures, quitting jobs, coaches, mentors, building teams, believing in empathy, and life. And of course, beer or that stiff drink, because the better you get at your job, the more responsibility you take on, the later and later that drink comes. And when we take that drink, we celebrate the people and the accomplishments and the projects and knowing that in our heart, we did the right thing. Welcome to the Leaders Drink Glass podcast. If you enjoy it, please like and subscribe. Everybody, welcome back to Leaders Drink Last Podcast. It's the beginning of season two. It's February 2022. And like always, I got my great friend and host, uh, Jake Fletcher. How are you doing, Jake? I'm good. I'm excited to be back. I know we had a bit of a hiatus, you know, life uh, gets busy, but, uh, you know, as is always the case, I message my good friend Brock and say, hey, we need to talk some leadership. So I'm excited to be here and excited for our topic today. And with that, uh, Jake always talks sports, and I'm like, I love sports, but I just don't follow it as well. But, you know, um, last year I went to a wedding and I ran into one of my friends from college who has, uh, he left Kalamazoo, he's a fellow Bronco, and um, suddenly, you know, he's he's working for CBS and then Fox and like uh, he's texting me when the rumor of Steve Eiserman may come back to Detroit. And like uh, every time I see him uh, college was such a snidbit of uh, really uh, him and I becoming friends. And it was as we became adults. And so uh, I got a great fellow Bronco and friend sky with us today. Sky introduce yourself. Tell the world a little bit. So I am currently the director of multimedia at San Jose State University. Um, before that, I was um, a senior assistant in the athletic department at Northeastern University in Boston. And previously before that, I actually came from the media side. So I was at Fox 2 in Detroit for four years. And then I was with CBS Radio and CBS Television, WSA 9 in Washington, D.C. I did stuff for WJLA TV in, uh, in D.C. and a bunch of other things. So I started on the media side, or I started in media, worked my way up there, and then I decided to jump a few years ago to communications. And here I am now in San Jose State and... One thing that I know we've always talked about is always continuing to be educated, to always continue to get that education. One huge benefit of going to Northeastern and going to San Jose State was the fact that they would pay for my schooling if I wanted it. And so at Northeastern University, I took advantage 
of that. And they have one of the best sports leadership programs in the country, if not the best. And so uh, they paid for the majority of it till I took the job at San Jose State. And I have one class left. Um, I'll be graduating in April of getting my master's degree in sports leadership, which, you know, I'm almost 40, um, which is just crazy that I never thought I'd get a master's. And now I'm a one class away, which is pretty exciting. But you always want to keep that education going. What what exactly is a degree in sports leadership? That's a great question. I don't know. No, it's actually pretty funny. It's it's you're taking a bunch of leadership classes, which is great. And it's general leadership classes, which I learned a lot about trying to be a leader, trying to get buy in, which is really difficult. One thing that I've learned on my own and in these classes is not only trying to get buy in, but when you get to a certain age. You don't relate like you used to with people that are younger than you. And this generation is very difficult to lead because there is not just one leadership style that you could use a blanket leadership approach that so many leaders have used in the past to just generalize a generation. Oh, if I lead like this, they're all going to buy in. Everything will be great. This will work out. What I've learned in this generation is every single person you need to lead differently. And it's a lot of work, but you have to get to know them and understand how to lead them. Because some, even though I believe great leaders lead by example, and sometimes you just have to have a hands-on approach. And then after a while, if you have the right people under you, you can start backing off because you could trust and that trust factors there and let them take control. But with this generation, I've learned sometimes that works and sometimes you need to just stay on them all the time. And it's very, I mean, every person's just different. It's very interesting how that has all come about. And that's stuff that I've learned in the sports leadership program. They've also, a lot of the stuff is stuff that I already do, like media relations stuff, uh, marketing, a lot of diversity issues we deal with, Title IX, which is huge in collegiate athletics. So you're also learning different parts of uh, athletics, but the leadership parts of it are that's the stuff that I really take. Because, uh, to be honest, a lot of the stuff I already do, so I it, it hasn't been the most. I mean, there's been parts where it's been pretty difficult, but there's been parts where it's like this is what I do on a daily basis, so it's not too hard, but it's all encompassing into a leadership approach that prepares you if you're going to be a leader in collegiate or professional athletics moving forward um i think it's a really good program it definitely teaches you a lot so you understand what you like and dislike it doesn't have everything i wish it had in it because there's a lot of things i do on a daily basis which they don't have in it and some of it is a little outdated to be honest but my favorite parts were the leadership classes not because i had to write you know seven eight page papers every two weeks which was awful but because i learned so much about leadership and Again, it's just getting that buy-in and how you get it and how you really have to change your approach depending on the person. There is no blanket approach anymore. There just isn't. This generation is completely different. Every single person, you have to really lead differently. And it, you know, it's just very interesting how that's really come to be. I, it's, it's great that you just said this. 
Um, one, I'm seeing in Jake's eyes how he's really disappointed that he didn't get a master's degree in sports leadership right now. Like his his entire construction management leadership that he's doing right now. Um, I can just see that he's like, I'm changing degrees. I'm uh, I'm going to do something else. But Jake is 10 years younger than us, um, is that generation. And he's one of my mentors, you know, and everybody's like, wait, no, that's not how. And I was like, we can break the culture of what is supposed to be a mentor and a mentee. And uh, Jake, what's your leadership style? So I just want to preface this by saying I didn't, I didn't coach Sky on any of this. Like I didn't pre say any of this. Like, I don't know if he's listened to past episodes or not, but he just described, you know, everything that is my leadership philosophy, which is adaptive leadership is what I call it. Um, and it's basically everything you just said is that, um, and it, you know, it's interesting because uh, I'm in my master's program also. And what I'm learning is that all of these things I experienced and learned in the field actually have terms and concepts in the classroom. I just didn't know it. I didn't know these were things, you know, I was like, Oh, I just, I knew this from the field, but I didn't know that there was a whole, um, you know, field of study and a whole books and concepts and people have been talking about this for a long time. Um, so it's, it's nice to know that there, you know, people are talking about adaptive leadership and, uh, in the classroom and, uh, I lived it in the field, you know, like that, that is how I approached my career as a leader is, um, I very much, you know, approached every person differently. And it just, it just seemed like a natural thing for me to do because I thought, well, there's no way for me to please all of these people or to, um, you know, make decisions or do things and get buy-in by just one checklist of doing it. Like you said, it's, it's very much, I have to analyze every person on my team and I have to understand how I communicate with them. And it actually started in sports for me. You know, I tell this story a lot when we talk about leadership, I was a catcher and Jason Veritek was my favorite catcher. And what I always heard about Jason Veritek was that he approached each pitcher. He got to know them personally. <clears throat> and so he was able to communicate. And, you know, the players on that team said they really had a great trust in him as a leader because he approached each of them uniquely. And so I modeled my game after that. And then it just translated over into my professional life because I thought, well, it worked in baseball. So why can't it work in real life? So I, uh, I actually, you know, I wish I could have got like, I, when I was choosing my master's program, I did look at, there was a, a sports leadership type program. And I was like, I'm too far into construction. There's no way I could, I could end up working in sports. It would, it would be phenomenal if I could, but uh, I did apply for a few jobs as like a, a building operations manager with the golden Knights, but I never got a call. So <laughs> It's tough. I mean, the sports industry isn't as glorious as people think. Like, I'd love to trade with you, to be honest. It's it's tough. It's very hard to have a life. Um, you're working all the time. It's pretty brutal, and you're not treated that great in a lot of the situations. I'm fortunate here I am, um, but it's it's very cutthroat. It's very, you know, you don't have a lot of support. And for years and years and years, people were getting by, but their duties were getting more and more, or they were getting more and more duties to do. Your job description started this, 
And now it's like, you know, up here and down here. And it's just like, okay, but it's still just you doing it. And you're not getting the support you need. And that's the hardest part about this industry is you're working all the time. I flew, you know, I was up at 3.30 Pacific time this morning after we played last night in uh, Boise, Idaho against Boise State. So then I fly back today, got in, probably got into my apartment here around, I don't know, 9 o'clock, 9.15 Pacific time. And this is my day off now. Now I just have a few hours to, you know, get my mind right. And tomorrow at 9 a.m. I'll be back in the office, you know, coming off a five-day road trip. Like it's just, you know, it's boom, boom, boom. And you just don't have a lot of time uh, to recoup. And even in the summer, you have some time. But even then, it's just like, you know, you're never mentally ready to go back. And I think that's a huge issue in the industry right now and a lot of burnout is where people are just falling, like they're just quitting. They're just leaving. Because it, it, I mean, I'll be honest, there's a lot of times where I'm thinking, maybe it's just not worth it anymore. Like, it's really hard to have a life. It's really hard to have a family. I haven't been settled down because, you know, I'm in Detroit for four years. Then I'm in Boston for two years. Now I'm in San Jose. You know, it's very hard to meet people. It's very hard to really, you know, raise a family on this because you're always moving. You know, my boss... Moved his family from uh, Detroit to Boston, now San Jose, in you know a two-year period. So I mean, it, it's tough. It's really tough, and I think that's where leadership really rises. Where if you have the right leaders leading you, you can do it. But uh, the biggest issue right now in this industry is support, and there's just not a lot of it. And it has nothing to do with the leadership. It has to do with you know this is how it always was. Like your athletic director can fight to bring in more employees as much as they possibly can, but there's a limit, you know, there's a budget that you can't get over. And that's where we're having a lot of issues where we just don't have the enough people helping us enough, you know, just enough support where you're asked to do so many different things and you just don't have that support anymore. And you could have the greatest leadership in the world and they take you a really long ways but if you don't have, you know, people helping you, you still get burned out. It's really, really a tough industry right now to be in. I think that's uh, the universe, right? Like um, from our career in construction, my career of travel and whatnot, it's been culturally accepted to just, if you want to prove yourself and you want to become senior leadership or whatnot you have to make these massive sacrifices in order to do it because that's what the boomers and the greatest generation did right and uh, we're still following that culturally and um we have to figure out how to inspire and motivate sky uh you followed your boss from boston to san jose why (laughs) <laughs> well, it was interesting because first our athletic director, who I absolutely love, went from Northeastern to San Jose. And one of the big intriguing reasons I went to Northeastern is because I knew him. He was at Oakland University, Jeff Konya before that. So he went, I knew him from a media perspective since I was with Fox in Detroit. 
and got to know him real well. And I saw how he thinks and how he does things. I'm like, this is somebody I really want to learn from. And when he went to Northeastern, he brought his guys out. And one of them was a guy named Scott McDonald, who he brought in to be head of external communications at Northeastern. And Scott wanted me out there because I know the media. I know how to deal with the media. I know how to, I know how to present things to the media so they'll use it. And so he brought me out there and I really wanted to learn from him, really wanted to learn from Jeff. And they brought me out there. And then Jeff took the athletic director job here at San Jose State because as great as Northeastern is, it doesn't have a football team. And if you really want to rise in collegiate athletics, you need to go to a Division I football team or go to a school with a Division I football team. And that is perfect for Jeff. I mean, he's doing a great job out here already. And then Scott joined him after a few weeks. And I actually took over interim basis Scott's position. So I was running external communications at Northeastern and I was really enjoying it. Um, But you know how it is that it doesn't matter how good a job you do. The new athletic director, they want their own people. Just like Jeff wanted his. Our new athletic director at Northeastern came from the hockey program. So I was, he was the hockey head coach. Already had built a great relationship with him because I was the hockey SID, but sports information director. But he still wanted his own person to come in. And so he brought his own person to kind of be above me, but he still let me run the department, which was cool, which was a great learning opportunity, great leadership opportunity. I made two great hires there Um, and I was really enjoying it, but it came to a point where I was just offered a deal that was got to a point where I couldn't pass it up to come out to San Jose state, to be honest. But I was really enjoying running the department at Northeastern. I was enjoying leading and, that's where I learned a lot about leadership, where I definitely made mistakes. There's no doubt about it. I tried, you know, I uh, maybe I put too much faith in people without leading them to where they need to be sometimes, I guess. Um, I definitely pushed people hard in certain situations because I thought they were lacking, which that's where I learned you really need to be adaptive in your leadership styles. And there's, you know, th- ways that I could have handled things a heck of a lot better. But I was very hands-on there for the first, you know, three months. I was going everywhere. Uh, heck, I had one of our new hires sleeping on my couch a couple nights. I was driving another one home an hour and a half out of my way because we needed them so badly. And I was doing, I was covering every single sporting event I possibly could at Northeastern because I knew how important it was to be hands-on and to show them how to do it. And then about two and a half, three months into it, I was just, I started being like, all right, I'm going to take today off. Go for it. And they rose to the challenge and they saw how I did things. And they were, and that's kind of like what Scott did to me at Northeastern in the beginning. And they rose to the challenge and they did a great job And Northeastern's in good shape because, you know, they were following what I did. And that's why I think good leaders are people that really are hands-on in the beginning, but no one to back off, but they also lead by example. And they saw how I did it. And then they started picking up what I did. And after a while, I went from being burned out to just like, all right, this is a pretty good situation. You know, we're, we're really building something here, but then um, it just financially just didn't make sense to stay in Boston, to be honest. So, you know, if it would have, I probably would have stayed because I love Northeastern. I had a great time there. 
I love doing hockey there. I think Northeastern's, you know, has a bright future and I really, really enjoyed it, but it just got to a point where, you know, not only financially did it make sense to come to San Jose state, but also being able to do football, you know, being at a school with a football program and in a really high conference like the mountain West, it was just too good to pass up. I mean, as much as I love Northeastern, uh, it was just too good of an opportunity to say no to. So that's why currently I'm living in a dorm on San Jose State's campus. Jake, in the military, you don't get to pick your team, right? How does that work? Now, you're when you talk about like when you came to Vegas as uh, a captain, and you're very or you were a lieutenant the first time I met you, uh, but. Like one, you're young for a captain. Uh, you got a lot of NCOs that are twenty years older than you. Yeah, some of them. Um, I wanted to take a step back before I jump into that, and you know, it kind of to answer your question. This is kind of plays into what Sky was saying is that, um, especially in your industry, you know, but in a lot of industries. Uh, people don't think about or see what goes on behind the scenes. Right. Yeah. So we, we watch sporting events. Like I was at the NHL all-star game this weekend and I wasn't thinking about what was going on behind the scenes. I was just enjoying the event. Right. So in our line of work, people see buildings or they, they turn on their faucet and water comes out of it and they don't really put together, you know, that there are people, there are leaders, there are struggles, there are, you know, long hours work, there are teams, there are moments of growing, there are risks that are taken. And so, you know, in your story that you're sharing about uh, kind of being hands-on for a few months and then letting go, that's a risk. And so that kind of plays into what we wanted to get into, you know, as we get excited and get into our topic. And, you know, your question, Brock, ties into that is, you know, in the military, you're right. I didn't, I didn't get to pick my own team. I got handed, you know, whoever I, you get assigned a project, you get assigned some troops and you go and you do your project. And so uh, you really have to, uh, in this, in the unit that I was in here in Vegas, uh, Red Horse is very rapid. <clears throat> you know, normally you come into a unit and, you know, you have time to kind of observe and, and see what's going on. And Red Horse, it's very much, hey, you're going out the door. You have to do it. You have to do it on the fly. And so it's, I got really, really good at, at reading people and understanding people and just paying attention to minute details to the point where people are like, why are you even, you know, why are you asking me about my day? Or I say, well, because normally you come in and this is what your habits are. And they're like, you pay attention to that. And I said, yeah, that's, that's what I'm supposed to, That's my job. I'm the leader of this team. Um, and I've been on teams, unfortunately, where that's not the case, where it was not reciprocated to me. Um, and so I, I feel very fortunate to be able to, you know, talk leadership with Brock because, uh, you know, so many people in, in across a wide variety of industries feel this way, you know, um, it's just, we don't really know that everybody's experiencing similar things. I would have never guessed, you know, that in the sports industry, like I would assume it was stressed, stressful, but I would have never guessed that, you know, all the stuff that you describe is the same kind of things that when Brock and I are, you know, hanging out, eating empanadas, like we're talking about the same things, you know, whether it's, um, you know, moving often or, or it's very same things. It's just, 
you know, it's not as cool because we're just building stuff and you're, you know, you're producing, you're producing sporting events, which we all love. Um, but you know, let, you know, it's a risk as a leader, anytime you, whether it's letting go, uh, giving control to people on your team, uh, or it's taking a risk on an, a new person. Uh, maybe it's taking a risk that the rest of the team doesn't agree with, uh, which, you know, sometimes you're going to be at odds with your people. The key is, and, and Brock always brings this up is, uh, from a military standpoint is when we leave the tent, everybody has to be on the same page and we're going to execute that decision, whether we agree with it or not. So I don't yeah, know. It's, it's funny how, like you talk about being at the NHL all-star game. I mean, if you think about what you don't see is the seven to eight months of planning that went into it. The, all the people that were there, you know, 20 hour days, the last three, four days, um, all the people that are there for hours. And I mean, hours after the game that were there three, four, five hours before the game. Like you just don't see all the hours that are truly put into what you're trying to do. And that's, you know, a lot of people miss that part. They're like, oh, it must be tons of fun. <laughs> you have no idea how little time I have to myself. Like, how little time do I have to recoup? I mean, I'm lucky that I got today off. And this is after I, you know, flew in from Boise, Idaho. I woke up in Boise this morning. So, and it's what? <laughs> I don't even know, 11 o'clock Pacific time. So, you just don't have a lot of time where you really can get your head on straight. And I think that's a huge part of everything. It's just mental, you know, being mentally prepared. And I think that's, you know, sometimes we push way too hard and that's where good leadership comes in where you got to realize that people need mental days once in a while. They need a day off. They need, you know, a few hours to recoup. I remember when I was at Northeastern, um, I realized that, we have uh we had three interns and I realized that they were getting really stressed. So we started, you know, it was like three o'clock afternoon. I'm like, all right, go home. You know, I don't want to see you guys till 10 a.m. tomorrow or 11 a.m. tomorrow or noon tomorrow. Or hey, take you work tonight, you take today off or tomorrow off, then we'll flip-flop. Is people really need that mental break nowadays. And I think that's where really good leadership comes into too, where they're not like, well, I worked you know, 30 days in a row, you can too. No, people are built differently. You know, people need a day to just recoup and just get away. And I think that's a big thing, especially in the sports industry where we don't take that into account nearly enough. Yeah. You know, in our industry, like, you know, we've talked about that before and the importance of, you know, not only mental health, but, you know, from our perspective, our industry is very dangerous, you know, Uh, and when you don't consider, uh, you know, people getting breaks and burnout. And that's why a lot of what we talk about is the importance of, of paying attention to your people, because, you know, if you, if you aren't doing it as a leader, then who's doing it, who is looking out for those people. And then that's when you turn around and you have a fatality and people look at each other and wonder, well, how did this happen? <clears throat> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, there's a lot of leaders out there who think that everything's peaches. And everything's going great when really, you know, in the ranks, people are like, can you believe that we're doing this or doing this or doing this and doing this? You know, my job description is going from here to here. It's like, 
and they don't see that the burnout and everything else is going, you know, is happening. And I think the best leaders out there are the ones who really see that and realize it and understand things need to change. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I've been on several big drilling projects where we have to set casing continuously and we have guys working days and nights and some guys will overlap and because they want to make sure it's, they have ownership on what's going on and they want to be there to see it be successful. And, you know, it's uh, important to grab them and say, Hey, I need you to go get a night's sleep so that when we're about to be on bottom, you know, you're here. And, uh, I, I will sleep in my truck and be on site for both shifts just in case, you know, um, or be up on the platform, you know, just, just, so it, if we're going to have an 18 hour day, which is not typical, I'm going to be there with them. Not like, all right, guys, it's uh, I'm going to go grab some dinner and work on, uh, you know, I got all these emails coming in and uh, so-and-so needs a budget and, you know, I can do that in my pickup truck on the console <laughs> with my laptop and be there just, just for that. And it's a, uh, it's the support and it's finding you know, that number two, it's finding who you can trust and, uh, them knowing that you trust what they're going to do. And in this whole great resignation that we have going on right now, uh, people with the fatigue and burnout have realized, you know, along with this crazy virus and, you know, we got Russia and China stuff now, and there's just so many things going on that, um, it's not, it's not worth, you know, we're not living to work. You know, we work so that we can work hard to play hard. And yeah. uh, Jake's, when Jake texted me, he goes, uh, I just went and seen this great movie. Uh, you got to go see it. What movie did you go see, Jake? I was American Underdog. So it was, you know, the Kurt Warner uh, story. And you were, yeah, you, that was your decompression was, uh, you know, you're a big sports geek. And, uh, he's like, Brock, you know, uh, when we find these people or how do you, how do you take risks on people? And so, uh, take it away, Jake. Yeah. You know, I, I went and saw this film and, um, you know, in the spirit of the Super Bowl coming up, I, you know, the sports are on my mind. I mean, the all-star game is in town. The pro bowl was here. Uh, I, I just love sports because, uh, number one to me, you know, coming from the military to me, sports is a way to ultimately to resolve, could be a way to resolve differences, uh, in a nonviolent way. That's, you know, from a military person, I look at sports and I'm like, you know, why can't we resolve our differences like this? You know, um, but aside from that, you know, I'm sitting in the movie theater and I'm watching this great movie. And obviously the focal point is Kurt Warner and they show, you know, they show Dennis Quaid is who's portraying the coach and they say, Oh, you know, coach Vermeil. And I said, wait a second. I pulled out my phone. I said, there's no way that this is Dick Vermeil. And everybody, you know, my, my wife and my son, they're like, Shh, you know, be quiet. Like we're trying to watch this movie. Like, they they had no care that I had just had an epiphany that Dick Vermeil uh, coached the 76 Philadelphia Eagles for, you know, he coached several years there. And this was the same guy who recruited Vince Papali off the street, you know, and as I sat there, 
you know, obviously I appreciate Kurt Warner's story. Like, you know, he won the Super Bowl when I was a kid, but I had no idea a bunch of the details of his life. Um, and it, that was a great story, but I couldn't help but think about this coach. I was like, this guy, he took a risk on a player back in 76. So he did it not only one time, but he did it twice. And I thought, you know, what if Vince Papali turned out to be a bust? You know, like that's how risky this decision was. Like this guy could have been fired. We would have never heard of Dick Vermeil again. Uh, but as a here I am, you know, in 2022, sitting there looking at this movie. And I was like, this guy mastered the art of the calculated risk, which if you're a leader, you know, taking a calculated risk is something that happens every day. You know, you weigh the options of any number of decisions on your plate. Um, and you try to take into account what the people on your team say. And ultimately you have to make a decision because not making a decision is probably the worst thing you could do. Um, and so this, this guy did it and it just stuck with me. I, you know, I thought, how did he make such a monumental decision? And it paid off obviously because the Rams won the Super Bowl that year. And it's funny to me because now the Rams are in the Super Bowl this year. So it's uh it's just uh, the world's a small place and it's there's leadership lessons to be found everywhere. It's a, uh, it is wild. Is it a calculated risk or does he have the ability to, you know, look within somebody and see that soul and it's both right? Because you have to trust your gut and, and uh, then execute uh is is the biggest piece to it you know and and have that ownership of that and you're right you know i uh until you you had texted me that and i haven't got to see the film yet but that's like uh stepping into a situation and the stakes are so high i, I love what you said about not, uh you know a non-violent way to resolve conflict uh, maybe that's how we should deal with the Olympics in Russia and Ukraine right now. Whoever wins the hockey game. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's not going to happen, but you're right. And I, I definitely have trusted my gut on things. And then there's times where I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just being, um, I must, I must just be crazy right now. This is the, you know, the wrong, you know, I can't, it doesn't make sense to make this decision, you know? Um, and, uh, Sky, where's, where did, uh, Vermeil go to school? San Jose state <laughs> full circle. I love it. I love it. It's small world. And it is. And that's another part. You know, where I don't think kids nowadays understand just how small this world really is and how we're all connected. And, you know, not only I think good leaders not only lead by example, how we they adapt to how you lead, you know, they also teach lessons. And there's one lesson which I always push is just know that, you know, everything you do is about relationships building great relationships 
And I really tried teaching these kids is, or these young adults just how small this world really is, especially in the sports industry. Everybody knows somebody who knows somebody. So it's so important to build those relationships, shake those hands, but also, you know, act professional too, because it's a very, very small industry. And, you know, you talk about Dick Vermeil. I mean, how ironic is it that, you know, he's went to San Jose State and is a hero here. So it just shows you just how small this industry is and how building relationships, good relationships are so important. Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Jake. Uh, You know, you talk about, I mean, construction industry is the same way, very small, right? You know, like, even if you just take a look at Vegas, like if you, if you upset the wrong person in Vegas in construction, you know, you should probably have a long list of other people, you know, outside of Vegas uh, that can help you out. Um, Probably better than it used to be if you upset the wrong person in Vegas, correct? (laughs) Listen, we'll we'll talk about Joe Pesci and Casino another day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of desert out there. There is, there is. And what's wild is if if I look deeper into, you know, the Rams franchise and culture, um, do they not have the youngest head coach in the NFL right now? Or was he? The they youngest? did. I don't know if McVay still. He might still be. But you know that's a yeah. that's a pretty big risk as a as a franchise, and then uh, Matt Stafford. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean I almost think hiring Bay was a bigger risk than Stafford, to be honest. Uh, just because you always saw the skills of Stafford, he just didn't have the crew around him. But McVay, I mean, I remember at least I was covering the Washington football team back then when they had Sean McVay and Matt LaFleur as position coaches and Kyle Shanahan as the offensive coordinator, when everybody always talked about how these guys, you know, would become something really special. You just, you're like, all right, I've heard this before, but it's amazing how they all have, you know, with all three of them now head coaches, they were all in the playoffs and with McVay, um, you know, I think the biggest thing with him was he got that opportunity with, Jay Gruden, they kept McVay on to be offensive coordinator instead of firing him with the rest of the staff. And that was huge. And he got that opportunity, took advantage of it, and he was doing some really dynamic things. And you being a Lions fan, you know better than anybody. Just it's pretty amazing that they did go to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. And that's coaching. That's leadership. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know any any of this about McVeigh, like being a you know such a young coach. But it's it's like you said, Brock. It's like that that is instilled in their culture as an organization that you know they they take these risks. And I, as I've watched the playoffs, you know, I, I watched uh, you know the Rams through the playoffs, and you look at them, and that I think that culture of taking those risks plays out onto their strategy on the field, right? Like. You know, I watched that game uh, in Tampa and they could have easily, you know, played it safe and ran the clock out. But, you know, they said, we're going to send it. We're going to beat. We're going to end this right now and we're going to risk it and, and see what happens. And it was the most I think that was the wild, most wild game so far that I watched. Like I, you know, um, you don't give Brady a chance 
is what it really came down to as, you know, executing back down the field that, and I, you know, I had already put on Facebook. I was like, you know what, Stafford, you are always going to be a lion. You know, I figured right there, this is a, it was done. You know, Brady had closed it one time again. And uh, I mean, that's some big pressure, not to mention that how many times has Brady done that to another team? You know, and so to keep everybody's spirit up on the field and on the sideline and that we're going to win this, you know, it's just, it's big. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Scott. No, I, I just think it also helps that being so young, McVeigh does a really nice job at not only showing leadership, showing maturity, but he also relates really well with the players. You know, there's always this line that you're always afraid to cross, obviously. But I think he does a really nice job at getting to know his players and building that bond. So, you you know, that bond of trust between um, between his players and the coaching staff, which you don't see at a lot of places, you know. And it's tough because you're, you're never going to be friends with them, obviously. It's like me with the players here. It's like you're still, you know, you're up, you're here and they're here and you just, there's a line that you don't cross, but you also can still build good relationships with them. So that trust is there and that trust is so important. You know, and it, it, we were kind of chatting before we started and, you know, one of the things at the beginning you were kind of talking about, Sky, is that, um, the face of leadership has changed, right? You know, and we talk about this in our industry a lot is that there's no longer a, you know, a single approach, right? Like, and we go to coaches, you know, you look at a coach like Mike Babcock, who's an old school hockey coach. And like, he ran into some trouble because he coaches this old way, right? That puts so much pressure on these players and these young hockey players are not, it's not like, you know, um, you know the they revolted team. yeah they, exactly. were, they weren't buying the buy-in wasn't there the trust wasn't there they didn't buy into anything he was selling because that now 20 years ago 10 years ago that worked but not anymore they were like who is this guy if we look into why the generations are the way they are and i i teach a class on hiring the 21st century you know, driller or 21st century employee. And when I deep dive into the youngest of the millennials and Gen Z, you know, those, uh, one, I traveling the world, I have a three and a five-year-old, but a lot of our friends are, you know, those Gen Z's and the youngest of the millennials are our friends, children, you know, that 18, 19, 20, 22 year old, um, young adults and we went from the 80s generation of like latchkey and uh parents and we've talked about this before but like that was the push to go to wall street and go to medical and stuff and suddenly hands-on and construction and blue collar took a back seat you know and suddenly those those uh those parents were working 90 hour weeks you know, and uh, didn't have time to put a shelf up or show show some of those hands-on things. And that's where, like, leadership and construction and trades 
started to falter. And then you have these tough coaches, and that's the only other source of influence of leadership of what these young adults are going to be, you know? And so you have uh, the youngest of the Gen Xers that all of their parents got divorced, you know, and um, we talk about, we coddled these kids and everybody got a trophy, but it was so much of the youngest of the Gen Xers generation was just junk, you know, just, uh, um, from the shift of the internet to how things happen. There was just a lot of change that happened along with, you know, a lot of bad life experiences. So of course, millennials, it was, how do we get back to a wholesome, you know, childhood, which then developed people that were more empathetic and, want, want to talk, want to, want to make sure that their boss isn't mad at them. You know, we, we sacrifice meetings with young team members because something busy happens to them. That perspective right then is they don't have time for me or they're mad at me. You know, they're 100% checking in and that's where the, the leadership style shifts. And you have to realize like how important that soul is on top of that. And I, I loved, I loved watching Babcock destroy the media in Detroit. You know, why would you ask that question? No, that's, you know, and I, I enjoyed him as a coach, but he had Iserman, you know, with the, the team Canada, you know, building those hockey teams that won, you know, the Olympics, but you know, when you had an Iserman and Lindstrom and those guys, there that you know hell Iserman was what the youngest captain in the NHL and uh we've seen as a leader since we shifted into hockey from football but you know looking at great leaders so if you have a crummy boss who's holding everything together you know and you can suddenly start looking and seeing like if it's not Babcock you know Who's, who's holding it together? And, you know, when Lindstrom retired, um, we saw Zetterberg and the rest of those guys burn themselves out, coming in and out of the ice way too much, you know, playing way too loose. And you go from a dynasty team that was unbeatable to a team that's junk. And a younger, you know, abdicator was like, it's terrible working with him. You know, so in leadership, if, if you're not going to be the good leader, who's picking the pieces up? Who allows you to get to be the jerk? It's interesting too. One thing that I've noticed is I feel like this generation, because of social media is so prevalent where they feel, and it's a good thing. They feel like they can say, you know, where they have true freedom of speech, but they also don't get any repercussions because sometimes they go over the edge a lot of times. <laughs> and I think that they feel more comfortable in, how should I put this? They just feel like they can do or say whatever they want instead of, you know, what we grew up with, where, well, 
there's a limit of what you could say or do, and there's a line you can't cross, and you have to respect the person above you. I feel like this generation just doesn't really have that. They feel like there's really no respect level there and that they could say and do, we're all on the same line, whatever they want. And I think that's really tough nowadays trying to be a leader because, you know, gaining that respect level is really, really tough. It's a lot tougher than I think it's ever been before because you always had it kind of built in. Like when we were growing up, hey, you respect these people that are above you now. There's no respect level whatsoever. And it's you like trying to be a leader. And that's where you really have to be adaptive with your leadership skills because you got to get that buy in because it's not inherently bought in anymore. Like it used to be, oh, this person's older, you know, I'll buy into what they're saying. You don't have that anymore. This generation, they just don't have that respect that other generations used to have that was already, you know, sometimes deservedly so and a lot of times not deservedly so already built in there's nothing there so it's even harder to get that buy-in from this generation because again they feel like they could do and say whatever they want with zero repercussions you know there was one person where i was helping mentor them and they got a great job that out of nowhere which i was like all right this is awesome you know congratulations but i could not stress it any more to them like just be careful on your social media. Just be careful on your social media. And they just never stopped their social media. And they actually got let go a couple of days ago. And it's just like, you know, for another reason. But I'm like, that's not the reason you were let go. You were let go because, you know, you kept crossing that line on your social media because you feel that you could say and do whatever you want. But that's not the way of the world. You can't do that, especially in our industry. You can't do that. And they were just pushing so much on the social media that I'm sure that's what did them in in, uh, in the end. Yeah, and that brings, you know, to my mind, that brings an interesting point. Like, um, to me, like what you're describing is that, you know, I grew up, even I grew up in a world where there was a, a structure, right? Yeah. Especially, especially in the military, right? Like there's a, a structure. Um, and I think a lot of what we're seeing in leadership is that, Structures are becoming more fluid, uh, which can be a good thing because it can make things more efficient. But it goes back to, you know, what you were saying, Sky, is, is how do you uh, still keep that respect element and those those important pieces of structure in the structure, even though it's changing. Right. And so it's uh, <clears throat> to me, you know, stepping back to taking risks on people, you know, and, and Brock and I talk about credentials a lot. Right. And so the big part of this story uh, that was, you know, at the center of our uh, discussion today is, you know, you look at the credentials of the two guys, you know, you look at Vince Papali, he had no credentials, right? And then you look at Kurt Warner, he comes from this small school, you know, he bombs it with the Packers they, when the Packers call and he ends up working in a grocery store and, and he plays in the ever forbidden AFL, which was like where football players went to die, right? And yeah. And it's what's interesting to me about about Vermeil is that he was kind of he was this old guy. You know, you mentioned like McVeigh, a young guy and connecting with players. Well, here's this old guy who had been around forever. You know, how did he how was he so far ahead of his time, like as an old, older guy that he saw this like, hey, you know, um, times are different. I'm going to I'm going to take this risk. I'm going to go off the grain, even though everybody tells me I'm crazy for doing it. 
and people are either going to buy, like he was, to me, he was just ahead of his time. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, um, go ahead, Brock. I don't know if you got something. No. To go ahead, Jay. <laughs> no, I just, um, you're right. You know, there's just, I mean, even if you look in construction, right. So construction, you know, with technology and the different ways that we, um, execute construction projects, you know, like design, build, design, bid, build. They're always coming up with these new fluid structures. And so the point that I'm always kind of bringing up in meetings and things is, okay, so where's the, stru- like, what is the structure? And nobody can ever kind of tell me. And so it's funny because that's how I think is, you know, there has to be some structure. I get it. You guys want to be fluid and you want to be uh, creative. And I'm all for that, bring in innovation. And bring in, I advocate to bring in people like Brock, your, some of your educational backgrounds in theater, right? I advocate that we should have more people, you know, we should have standards, obviously, for the people that we hire. I mean, but at the same time, we shouldn't be afraid to bring in people who have different perspectives. Uh, and I feel like we in our industry miss out on so many good people because we put up this wall that says, well, you can't enter because you don't have this degree or you don't have eight years of experience when really that person could look at our process and say, you know, if you just did this, they could be the missing piece to what, what wins us a Super Bowl in our world. Right. It's um, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, Like, like sports and um, theater. They're a production, you know, with with an ultimate goal of entertainment, you know, of that release. The crazy thing, I use a lot of my theater directing degree because not not like a director that is like, okay, you guys are on stage now and this is how we're building this story. More of I got a costume designer. I got lighting designers. I got a scenic designer. I got a construction crew. I have a house manager. I have all these pieces that are literally just any business. And if we, if we don't execute together and collaborate and hear everybody's points and everybody has a vision of what, what their piece is to fit into that, the audience is going to tell me (laughs) if we did good or not. You know, and that's uh, very much full full circle into the social media thing. It's um, it's very crazy that this came to social media right now because uh, we it's like the curtains pulled pulled over our faces and we can say whatever we want and we want to say that you know these dang Gen Zs and millennials uh, are are part of it, but it's from the what i've started calling the doomers instead of the boomers you know there's some things on twitter and social media that is just flat nuts that you know everybody right now and social media has become such a big part of our universe or world that when facebook or meta or whatever they're they're calling it tanked by 26 percent the S&P 500 dropped. Like when you looked at everything, the rest of the stock market has some good upticks, including, you know, oil and gas and whatnot. And they're like, so how did the S&P 500 drop as much as it did? And they're like, 
Facebook lost, you know, dropped 26%. And that's right there, you know, the degree of influence that we have from opening our mouths and hitting, or not opening our mouths, typing something up and hitting enter, which I've done, you know, and I didn't have to have social media, you know, and a dang email that I, I read out of context or, you know, nobody gets your tone. It's so important for us to be in person, you know, and the greatest lesson I learned in the last two years with, with COVID was get on the zoom call, get face to face with somebody smile, wave. Everybody's like, why do you wave at the end of a meeting? And I was like, because I want them to know that, Hey, (laughs) I, I know there's a distance between us right now, but, you know, we are all working for that same collective goal. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, my perspective, social media, Brock, you know, everybody I know rides me all the time because I, I stopped using social media probably, I think it's probably three years ago. It's It's been two or three years since I... I mean, I use LinkedIn because, you know, networking and connections is important for work, but um, I put a lot of emphasis on picking up the phone uh, or getting on Zoom or meeting in person. You know, my job, I, I always tell people like, hey, don't email me, give me, pick up the phone and call me and let's talk about this, you know, because it's easier. Or if I have to go explain something to, uh, you know, one of the schools or, or a site that I'm working at, I I'll drive out to the site and I'll explain it because if I'm emailing Brock about a construction project, it's very easy for me to explain it. But for someone to see in person, like, Hey, this is what's going on. And I'm showing you and explaining it to you in a way. And it, you know, touches back to that adaptive leadership. It's not just with the people on our team. It's with, it's with everybody. Right. You know, um, and I, I think that's how we start to get back to some form of really, I think we're circling around to a point as people where we're looking for how do we get back to communicating with each other in a way that is meaningful. And it honestly involves a lot of being adaptive to other people. And, you know, I always talk about my grandmother that, and she's passed away now, but she was very much in her ways, right? She was 86 years old and or 89 years old. And, uh, some people you're just not going to change. Uh, and a, a lot of what we talk about Brock and I is, is how do we, how do you change an industry that's been, it been the same way for however long, you know, um, it's very difficult to do. Um, and so we're still searching for the answer to that question through all of our episodes. We get to make the choice. You know, that's, um, I feel like when you turn 40, you automatically get to be an adult. Like it's, you're out of your thirties, you know, it's, uh, um, but like, I just, in the responsibilities I have, I question why, why are we, why are we continuing to do it this way? How can we do it better? And, um, what, what would make, you know, uh, Vermeil or the Rams, you know, look for Warner? Wasn't there anybody else? Wasn't there a 
quarterback a backup quarterback that was already performing that you know and if we if we look at just quarterbacks right now with Brady retiring it the the class of quarterbacks we have is very different but there also seems like there's this weird age gap suddenly like that those median age you know Brady's 44 and retired you know and Rodgers is gone and uh Breeze is gone and um um, Steelers, I can't think of his name right now. You know, Roethlisberger. Yeah, is, is they all retired, but like all of those speed quarterbacks, like if we're if we're supposed to be good leaders, we all said like, how long can RG three do this before he's going to be burned out or destroyed? Right, and so suddenly, like Stafford's the, one of the older quarterbacks in the in the league suddenly. You know, and then you got all of these young, young speed guys. Like it's, it is wild from a leadership standpoint, how you utilize that key player in a way that can he make it to 44 years old or, or what? And, you know, Belichick decided that, you know, Brady wasn't right for his program anymore. Brady wasn't ready to retire. We see this so many times. We saw it with Manning. We saw it with Montana. You know, these, I I was working in Indianapolis and I watched them take down his, you know, Jersey number and everything that was on the side of Lucas oil stadium from my office. And I called my buddy and I'm like, I think they're letting Manning go today. And I was like, but wait. And then those guys say, I'm not done yet. And they go somewhere else and win a Super Bowl? Or they go to the Super Bowl with somebody else? Like, Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show you, like, you know, kind of what I was saying is that our understanding of what is valuable is, you know, it's something you were touching on earlier, Brock. Like, you know, obviously there are standards, but if we want to – build winning teams, you know, you have to be willing to explore, at least explore, you know, some of those, those different perspectives and those different options, you know, and I really like watching the all-star game this weekend for me, it was really, you know, I watched Trevor Zegras, who's a young guy with Anaheim and Anaheim's having a great season. Like they, you know, their organizations really turned it around. You know, they really built, with a lot of young guys, um, same thing that Detroit's doing because they have the right guy building the team. <clears throat> um, I watched this kid do this trick shot where he, you know, he took this puck on its edge and he just like, I, and I was watching this and I was thinking, man, I bet all the old hockey players that are watching this are glad they're retired because this kid is pushing the boundary of their sport. Right. And to me, watching him do that, I was like, this is what happens when you give somebody the freedom, you know, you put them in a structure, obviously there's a structure in that team, but somehow they've given this kid the freedom to be who he is and to be the creative, you know, bring his perspective to what they want to do. And as I watched him, you know, it was the breakaway challenge and he was, he was dressed as Peter LaFleur from average Joe's and they were throwing dodge like they're throwing dodgeballs. This kid is blindfolded. He's doing this trick shot. And it was just like, one, I was thinking, dude, you were probably like, I don't know, three when this movie came out. 
Cause now I'm getting to the point where I'm watching kids and I'm like, man, you weren't even alive when this movie came out. And, uh, but it, it was just really cool. Like to me hit that whole scene summarized, like what you can do with a team and an organization, if you give them that fluid structure, but at the same time, let them be who they are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mind you, a lot of a lot of that uh, fun. Some of the things we see in hockey now that are fun, there used to be these large goons that would go, "Hey, you're not going to do that again because I'm going to cream your face into the board so hard that you won't have that time to think." <laughs> you know, so yeah, I'm I'm sure a lot of them are glad Marty McSorley doesn't play anymore. <laughs> it's amazing how. Uh hockey coaches decided that they finally realized they're wasting roster spots on that and so now it's all skilled guys all four lines instead of a guy who could barely skate who's just in there for one reason and it's amazing how it really shifted the last decade where they realized they'd rather get more um production instead of having somebody in there just to fight that's a Iserman the other day was talking and they have several injuries on the Red Wings right now. And he was like, we're going to let them heal and, you know, fully rehab before we bring them back. He's like, in my time, you know, you, you got 80% healed and you were back out there, but you, you weren't a top performer. You were still getting hurt. You know, like I just, Every time that man talks, I just he get he gets what people need, you know, and he did it with the lightning. <laughs> and, yeah. and when he left them, they were so devastated they lost to Columbus. They got swept by Columbus that year. You know, and they should have, you know, been going for the Stanley Cup. So you can show how influential one person can be. And I maybe it wasn't that. Maybe Columbus was just that motivated that they came back. You know, and we're we're right about the witching hour of about five, eight minutes to wrap this up. But it's uh social media can be good on the aspect that we can see great leaders and we can we can question you know, how, how do we emulate they do that? And, um, that's the cool thing about your career sky is like, you pulled the curtain back today on the, the long hours and some of the insanity, but like, um, one of our first podcasts, Jake's was about how high school coaches influence the type of leader a young adult will be. Well, in reality, sports influences our world on how how we should lead or how we should overcome. You know, last year when Tampa Bay won the um, Super Bowl and those guys started talking about the first day they met Tom Brady, you know, in, in the weight room and stuff. And he, he walked up and he's like, hey, I'm Tom. You know, and shook those guys' hand and like had a meaningful conversation. And the guy's like... We know who you are, <laughs> like, but instead he was, he, he was like, I, you know, we're all humans here. I'm not, you know, the greatest of all time. I'm your, I'm your teammate. 
Yeah. And a lot of that goes back to, you know, something I've written about in the past is um, as leaders, you know, I think uh, one of the hardest things to do is to join a team after you've led one. Right. Um, And so I didn't know that, you know, everybody always talks about Tom Brady and, you know, to hear story, nobody ever talks about stories like that. They're always like, Oh, you know, it's, it's Tom Brady. Um, but that is one of the hardest things to do to go from a team where you've been your whole career or you've been for a long time and you've led that team. Um, and it's something a lot of leaders can't do. You know, that's why a lot of people just get out of the game because they, they can't do it. It's crazy. Like I went from running the department at Northeastern to now just being another spoke on the wheel so far here at San Jose state. And it's, it's been an adjustment. Yeah, I'm being compensated much better, but it doesn't make up for it. Like, it's just, it's very weird because now I'm not, you know, I'm just staying back. You know, it's a, it's a weird situation. It's not, you know, I like being able to lead. I like being able to help people. And now I'm kind of just in the background. And it's definitely been an adjustment, no doubt about it. It's interesting because in my 30s, you know, it, not as a senior leader there were so many times that i'm like what does my boss do what could he possibly be doing all day like i know what my jobs are and stuff like i can't if he's got all these people doing stuff for him what what could he possibly be doing you know and he's reporting to the the next level up probably thinking the same thing about his boss what is his boss doing if i'm doing these tps reports or you know whatever um it's it's challenging to check your ego after you've been yeah. on top, you know, and that's a terrible thing. Back to being outspoken on social media or something. The fact that, you know, 2020 when COVID hit and they, my team was in Tallahassee and I was in Kalamazoo because that we couldn't travel. The corporate just said, you're going to do everything from Kalamazoo. I'm not in the office. I'm not hearing the things after we get off the zoom call. I can't hear who's disgruntled, you know, and there was a doomer down there that definitely, you know, manipulated the situation and in a negative way, you know, and um, now, now I get when I'm, when I'm just a spoke, uh, how important it is for me to be the strongest, smartest to allow for us all to be able to move those wheels down the road, you know, and ego, uh, you know, Brady, Brady obviously has the confidence, you know, uh, to come back from being down 21 points against Peyton Manning, Right. Like, and you look at those two men and oddly enough, if we look at like what, what's happening with the Rams right now and Stafford, um, succession planning in the NFL, isn't what it was, you know, Rogers was behind, um, why can't far far, right. You know, and, uh, why didn't the Colts keep Manning for luck? for two years, you know, so luck could have had some, you know, 
some of that. And it, to that point of a big risk, you know, Brady was sixth round draft. You know, he was a mediocre quarterback for Michigan. You know, and uh, what did he do? Two or three years as backup in New England, or maybe yeah, Brady? Yeah, Brady. They well, Bledsoe got hurt, and they put Brady in right away, and they just took over. That's right. I forgot about Drew Bledsoe. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's easy to forget, right? Like. <laughs> It's but we don't have that succession planning anymore. Like yeah. who's there's it just doesn't exist. You would have thought you would have put somebody behind blood not Bledsoe, but a breeze that would be developing. Yeah. Or I if I was a backup quarterback behind Manning, you know, I think Brock did a pretty good job in um uh, Denver learning behind Manning, but Manning was also hurt. You know, uh, it's just crazy when you think about how do we build, how do we build our our teammates. Better yet, the question I would ask the industry is, how do you build the individual you want to work for when you're the old guy? Yeah, and I, you know, I'm glad you brought this up because, like, sports is a great way to look at this and, and the progression. Right. So, so a lot of people criticize a younger de- generation for many things. I, I think at the heart of one of the conversations that needs to be had is that there has to be some realism about you have to earn your way to certain things. That doesn't mean you have to do it the way that we did it. Like the, it doesn't have to be this knockdown drag out structure, but there is a structure and you have to earn your way through it. It's people have to begin to have that conversation in a way that communicates it appropriately to younger people. Because I think what they're saying now is you just want everything handed to you and we don't want you because you don't want to work. And that's not necessarily true. You just need to find a way to communicate that to people. Right. So one of the things I like about the NHL uh, is they have this next man up is what they always say, the next man up mentality. And it's the NHL is an industry where people get hurt all the time and guys, I think they, uh, the good teams in the league do a really good job of, you know, communicating with these young kids like, hey, you're coming up. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to stay up here, but this is an opportunity for you to grow and to show us. And also the team needs you. So, you know, some of these kids and I've watched it happen in Vegas, like they go up and down. And now some of these kids are in the lineup permanently because they've earned the spot, like I said. Uh, and somewhere in that organization, you can tell that someone has been honest with them. Like, Hey, like you, you know, this is the situation. This is someone has, you know, I can't see behind the scenes. I don't work for the golden Knights, even though I wish I did. Um, but I think in our industry, that's, you know, how do we build that progression? Right. And I think that's one of the conversations that needs to be held adaptively is, people need to understand that there is a progression to things uh, and that it's okay to work, to earn something. It actually feels better when you do it, you know, because to me, when something's handed to you, it doesn't feel as good as when you, you earn it, you know? Yeah. I think that's a, a perfect, you know, wrap up. Um, We, we have to be honest 
with our teams, but at the same time, we got to be honest with the old dogs as much as we are with the new dogs, right? Right. So, and because of technology and everything, progress isn't measured the same way progress was. You know, again, my my generation and the largest like group of divorce parents, but they would stay at the same crummy job for 30 years. And then they're like, what are you doing? I've, you know, I've switched jobs, you know, several times from, you know, 25 to 41. And it was always for the, the right opportunity, the right things to learn and that type of thing. But like, you know, you, you'll get divorced, but you'll, you'll stay in that shitty situation. Like we, we have to be, we have to be honest on what progress is and how is it measured? Yeah, I agree. I mean, that actually, that was the topic in my master's class this week is, is productivity versus performance and the difference between the two. And, you know, kind of my take on it was, you know, there's a variety of different ways to measure this and, uh, you know, the difference between those two and kind of the key point I zoned in on is there's so much data available to us in today's day and age. And it's zoning in on, you know, each, you know, each project I said is unique, but when you look at people, each person is unique. And so zoning in on performance is really people-based case by case. And then Sky's job, they're always going to be younger and you're always going to get older. <laughs> But in reality, that's all of our jobs, right? If we're not bringing in the next generation, what does it matter? What are we doing this for? Any last thoughts, Sky? I think we covered a lot of things. I'm also on like three hours of rest. I know, I know. Uh, Uh, Thank you for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, this is awesome. This is really, really cool. I enjoyed this thoroughly. Thank you guys very much. So we'll uh, we'll be following San Jose State basketball, and uh, you're only gonna Not well. So <laughs> yeah, well March is we'll coming up quick. We'll turn it around very quickly. Next few years, we have the right staff. We're building we're building a foundation for great culture. And when we came in this year, there wasn't good culture here, and this staff is starting to build. We have a great group of guys. It's young. Um, we just you really need to build that culture first, and that's where it's happening now. So even though the results aren't happening on the court, it's going to turn around very quickly. Here. That's awesome. Last thoughts, Jake? Uh, no, I you know every I probably say this every episode, but I think it's you know this is my new favorite episode. I mean every 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 topic we cover, you know, it's like you know I, I even learned something just sitting here, and so. I hope I hope everybody enjoys this, and I hope you know as people uh, gather to sit down and watch the Super Bowl uh, in the coming week. Uh, you know, take a step back and you know look at your team or you know your little league team like me because I'm getting ready to kick off baseball season here. Uh, just keep in mind uh, the kid that uh, maybe people wrote off in the tryout or whatever might be the next next thing to help you win the big game. You got a prediction for the Super Bowl? Uh, 
I don't know. I, it's tough because you got this young, young guy, Joe Burrows. And, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's probably going to be one of the better games we've seen in, in the last 10 years, probably. So I'm looking forward to it. I uh, like uh, so many times I lived vicariously through a former Michigan quarterback, you know, playing for another team in the Super Bowl. So it was like I couldn't root for the Lions. And now, again, I'm living vicariously through Stafford, who is a Lions to me. This is the closest I'm getting to. <laughs> and uh, so I, I want the Rams. Yeah, I think it, yeah, I think it would be cool. Uh, I don't know. It's a great storyline, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, um, I had just read this uh, statement by Goodell that said, uh, in order to make sure we don't have a Super Bowl team playing a home field advantage, all the rest of the Super Bowls will be played at the Cowboys Stadium. So That's funny. <laughs> well, this has been the Leaders Drink Last podcast. I would like to thank my fellow Bronco alum, Sky, and uh, as always, Jake, great topic, and uh, we appreciate everybody who listens. Thanks. This has been Leaders Drink Last. We want to thank our bosses, mentors, coaches, and colleagues for our inspiration, along with the 21st century leadership gurus, Simon, Yako, Sutton, Gladwell, Leccioni, and many more that have influenced us. Music is provided by Artless Music, and our intro is Outlaws of the Old West, an excellent song from Everett Z. The outro song you're listening to right now is from Ian Post titled On The Way, an appropriate song for where we want Leaders Drink Glass to go. Now the legal disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed here on Leaders Drink Glass are those of the hosts and authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of our employers, companies that we collaborate with, the Department of Defense, the Department of Labor, or companies and groups we volunteer to work with. Any content provided by our hosts, guests, bloggers, or authors are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, anyone, or really anything. We have the best intentions here at Leaders Drink Last, and just like in leading teams, sometimes unexpected discussions come up. None of this is, is scripted, and we're just here to have fun. If you've enjoyed this, please like and subscribe. Thank you so much.